Today's guest is Sam Ori. Sam is the general partner at Ouroboros Group, a private investment firm specializing in middle market corporate acquisitions and operations. She has led two deals to closing over the past year with Ouroboros in both the contract manufacturing services and consumer services sectors. Prior to Ouroboros, Sam was on the investment team at Generation Equity Capital, where she was active in sourcing, evaluating, and executing on investment opportunities, as well as developing investment theses across various sectors. She received her BBEA in Design and Management Summa Cum Laude from Parsons, the new school for design, and an MBA from Brandeis University. So Sam, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Alexis. This is awesome. Absolutely. So I'm going to jump right in. And again, I'm going to kind of just back this train up because there was at that last part of the introduction, I mentioned that, you know, you have a bachelor's degree in design and management from Parsons uh, School of Design. And I find that fascinating, this non-traditional background, you know, in the world of PE. So Take this train back. How did you turn your fashion degree into a successful career in PE? Yeah, it's a great question. I get that all the time. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of an accidental uh, private equity professional and um, financier, if you will. It was not my intention going into things. I actually started as an artist and a designer and was majoring in graphic design and business management at Parsons and was, was really looking to kind of go into the world of the creatives, if you will. And I, I did an internship one summer at Prada Corporate and I loved it was it was everything that I thought it would be actually um but it was something where I felt like I wanted to dive a little bit more into the finance side and you know I, I ended up you know talking to a few friends for doing more traditional kind of investment banking internships and um they were at NYU and they said my gosh why don't you just completely 180 and try your hand at this and maybe you can fall somewhere between consumer which is your love and finance which is you know something that you kind of want to explore. So I was really lucky and I landed an internship at Needham and Company one summer and I really, um, the guys looked at me and I think they were like, we're confused, but we think that you're good at math and we think that you know consumers. So here's your shot. And they were very, very generous with me and they kind of taught me the ropes about, you know, being in, you know, the industry and in finance. And I was there with another intern from Harvard who um, was just so nice. And, you know, it was like, you know, let's do this. You, you have to golf and, um, you know, you have to you have to go play blackjack and you have to go like be one of the guys. And I was like, whoa, like coming from like a very girly school. So he taught me kind of the implicit role of being in finance. Well, the guys taught me how to model. They taught me um what to look for in, you know, when you're doing consumer reports. And they ended up working on Zipcar that summer um, as the tertiary underwriter. And I got to help them do that, which was really cool. And it kind of launched my career and um, solidified the bond between consumer investing and finance. And I said, wow, I this is something that I can, you know, really kind of wrap my head around. It's a good story. And it's, it's a place where I feel like I can kind of launch a career. So my senior year, I, I got a lot of help from my network and also from, you know, my friends who were more traditional um, in, in the finance space. 
And they said, well, you have to go interview at all the big firms, uh, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, VMO, you know, go and, and talk to these guys and see if you can land yourself like an analyst role. And I think most of them were, they, they definitely remembered me because I had a very non-traditional yes. interview and background, but I think that they liked my spunkiness and they thought I could learn quickly and, and they wanted to give me a shot. So I ended up at Morgan Stanley working on the trading floor and that was really kind of my first uh, foray into launching my career in finance. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then how, you know, now you are, you know, you, you founded your, your firm. So take us, you know, take us from, from Morgan Stanley <laughs> to, you know, this point where, you know, you decide to kind of, uh, you know, plant your roots, if you will, and, and take this very entrepreneurial career path. Yeah, it's that also was a journey. So you have to walk before you can run. So you have to learn the ropes of the industry, as it turns out, before you can go manipulate and create it and, you know, find, um, you know, hidden value and, and, and really seeing, um, you know, kind of arbitrage opportunities, for lack of a better term. So, you know, I, I learned a lot from Morgan Stanley and um, I actually went to grad school at Brandeis, which also taught me a lot and kind of filled in any sort of gaps, but also really open my eyes to the buy side, which is this, this mythical place in finance <laughs> um, where many people like to end up. It's hedge funds and private equity, essentially. And usually start by start start on the sell side. And you know, if you don't love the sell side, or you know, you feel like you want to go, you know, and, and kind of be the market maker, if you will, um, people tend to go to the buy side. Um, the, the misnomers is that the hours are better. They're actually much worse. <laughs> uh, the hours are worse, and you don't have as much structure. And the stakes are really high. But I would say once you get there, you're like, wow, this is like I'm actually managing capital for people. And I spent a little time at a hedge fund um, and, and decided it was a bit introverted for me and went into more traditional private equity. I got a really great opportunity from my former GP at Generation Equity Capital. And he pretty much um, you know, taught me everything I know about um, investing and what makes a good investment and um, kind of how to finesse a deal from start to finish. And, you know, I, I loved every minute of it. It was, it felt like I was adding value. I was able to help these CEOs, you know, achieve their goals, but also kind of get them to this additional level that they didn't ever think they would be able to get to. And I loved it so much. And I started to see some interesting opportunities in the market. There was a big market shift um, in 2014, 2016, you know, in private equity, we we're starting to see, you know, kind of uh, nouveau private equity coming about. And I said, wow, you know, I can kind of take my non-traditional person's background and, and apply some of these creative strategies to uh, the financial sector, you know, and, and, and deal sourcing in general and also streamlining the process so that CEOs, you know, kind of want to work with us, you know, more than maybe other private equity shops would. So I started kind of pulling out this thesis and, uh, you know, Ouroboros uh, kind of um, happened after I uh, bought out my first company. I decided wow, I, I can do this on my own too. This is incredible. Um, you know, maybe I should brand myself. Um, and it went back to basics, back to Parsons and my <laughs> branding days all over again. And I said, well, I know how to brand. So I can brand myself, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love the journey. 
and I love the path and I love because I don't know if it's 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 almost like a like an underdog kind of, you know, kind of quality that you have is where, you know, when you have a, a very different background. I just always find myself kind of gravitating to, you know, in my in my line of work, gravitating towards these candidates, because I just think, oh my gosh, you have such a different story. Um, you have a different perspective. And like you said, I mean, just like this is a perfect example. You know, you're starting your own firm and you're going back to the basics. You're going back to like your roots, you know, in terms of like branding. And so it's a very different approach. And I'm sure that that is definitely what plays into setting Ouroboros apart. So tell us, you know, you know, I'm sure you get this a lot, you know, what's with the name? <laughs> Tell us about, you know, why you chose Ouroboros as the name and, and, and again, what you think sets um, your firm apart from, from the rest. Sure. I, we get this all the time. And it's so funny because Ouroboros means um, infinite returns in Greek. Um, and it, it can be delineated by a dragon eating its tail or a snake or serpent eating its tail. And what's interesting is that in the U.S., nobody knows what an Ouroboros is. But if you go to Asia or Europe, uh, everybody knows. And it's so funny because we do international deals. And when we speak with um, LPs or we speak with companies that are in uh, Europe or Asia, a lot of these people, they have very thick accents. But Ouroboros is just perfectly pronounced. And in the U.S., um, it is like I've had to say it three or four times. And it's great <laughs> because it was an accidental conversation piece because internationally, people go, wow, you have a real respect for my culture. And I'm like, wow, that is like so cool that like we can connect like that. And then in the U.S., it's a great conversation piece for like, wow, you didn't like name your company, um, you know, a street address or your favorite vacation, uh, you know, place, which is how a lot of private equity shops and hedge funds do get named. You know, no knock against them, but it is a little weird for us to have kind of a weird atypical name. So uh, we, we certainly embrace that, I would say. Um, and and the branding and the purple, you know, it's definitely not a typical uh, finance color. And I think it kind of sticks out. Usually people use blue or black or, mm -hmm. you know, something a little bit more traditional. And then to answer your question kind of about what sets us apart, you know, I think a lot of it is how authentic we are. We're really, really authentic in terms of our strategy, talking to CEOs. Um, what you see is what you get, you know, and, and we do, obviously we have investors, you know, that work with us and um, they want the authenticity too because they want to know that you know we're sitting there managing their capital and you know not totally in our fingers all day um, but also we're giving them the straight answer um, and not the sales pitch um, you know about why they should be investing with us um, you know and why we have interesting deal flow and I just think that being honest and being your authentic self is is, is really um, key to, to, to working in this industry you don't always get as much of that because everything's a negotiation so it's hard to be authentic you know but i'd say that you know for us um we're trying to change the game and even if it's not what people want to hear we'd rather it be real and be honest so that people trust us and they want to work with us um, and when you buy out a company of a ceo um, it's all about trust it's all about you know this is probably the biggest decision you know from a professional perspective that these individuals will will be doing and for them to have that bond and to have that trust you know, throughout the deal process, you know, we're, we're educating them, but at the same time, you know, negotiating um, is a very fine line. And we much rather err on the side of, you know, we're always honest with them and always have trust with them. 
when we're doing these deals. So I think that really sets us apart, you know, just implicitly. You know, people don't always know why, um, you know, you trust someone. It's, it's, it's more of a feeling, but you just know. You always know if someone's lying to you or you know if they're being honest with you. So we just like to be completely transparent when possible. Um, so, and, and then the other thing I think that sets us apart is that everything that we do is proprietary when we deal source. We, we sometimes will look at auction-led processes, but I would say that 95% of the time, we're going through our own Rolodex, we're making our own connections with CEOs. We have three algorithmic deal strategies um, that help us source these companies where all of our portfolio companies have come from. And, you know, I'd say that that most PE, they're not sourcing their own deals usually. Um, they're doing more auction-led processes. So, so I'd say that that's one big, uh, one another, another uh, differentiating factor. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that's awesome. I loved everything, especially the part, you know, and I mean, it all kind of pieces together nicely, but the authenticity, um, I absolutely 100% uh, agree with you. And uh, at the end of the day, I mean, this space is is about relationships and you're absolutely right. And you're probably one of the only people that I've spoken with that has really kind of doubled down in terms of their explanation of, you know, the importance of trust and, and transparency and, and, and honesty. So um, that is, you know, I, I felt that that resonated a lot. Another thing that I wanted to ask you uh, about, because because you, you know, aside from being a woman, you're also, you know, you you are, you know, you graduated college in I think 2011. So, you know, you're you're a, you're, you're a young woman. How do you feel, you know, being a a female founder and a young female founder in this space has has helped and or hindered you? If you'd asked me like 10 years ago, I probably would have given you a different answer. But but I've learned to embrace being a young woman, um, they're really, it's, it's two knocks kind of against me. Um, it helps in private equity to be older have more experiences. Um, usually when you're talking to, to people that are, you know, on average, you know, 50 or 60 years old and they're white males. And, you know, it, at first I, it was intimidating. And so, gosh, there, what do I know that, you know, I can really, you know, imbue on these people. But as it turns out, a lot, you know, from a different perspective. And I gain confidence, I think, going through and, and making these connections and relationships with people and really seeing, you know, once I created value for, for people's companies saying, wow, you know, I really do, um, you know, have, have something to offer here, you know, young Sam, basically, um, you know, this is maybe eight years ago. And then I started, um, this is before I really started Ouroboros, but then once I started Ouroboros, you know, I said, I can use this to my advantage, you know, where, uh, you know, you have these, you know, CEOs and LPs, you know, that basically aren't really sure what to make of you at first, um, but then they hear you talk and, and really it's less about how you look. It's less about the age. And it's more about what you're actually saying. And if they're listening to you, they go, oh, wow, this, that is a good idea. Oh, that totally makes sense. Oh, you've done this. Oh, cool. You know, and then suddenly the age and the gender kind of melts away. And it's, it's very odd, but COVID has actually been really helpful to me because people can't see me usually. And people also aren't having an in-person experience. You know, I'm a five foot uh, one uh, tiny 
tiny girl, um, you know, who looks a lot younger than even she is, you know, and, and because of that, it's a great equalizer. So people really are forced to hear you and your ideas come through. So I, I actually forget, you know, that I'm a woman sometimes because it's just so male dominated that you just can't really think of gender. You know, at, at this point, you just kind of think of yourself as a person, you know, trying to, uh, you know, generate alpha for a company. And I think that that has also helped me um, gain perspective. And I think lastly, um, I used to dress like a man when I was in my early 20s because I thought that that would make a difference. And it kind of did. But I realized that my confidence level is just much higher when I dress like I want to dress. And if I want to wear a cute dress, I wear a cute dress and it brings out my personality. But at the end of the day, once again, it's what I'm saying and less about how I look um, and sometimes being kind of kind of the underdog and, you know, kind of someone going, hmm, I don't know if she's 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 doing this or got this. It makes them listen even harder because they really want to, like, see what you have to say. And I love that. So it, it's actually been a really good value add um, in recent years. I love that. I You touched on something that I think that I've heard before. And I think, well, I think it happens to everyone, especially like early on in your career where you have these little like little seeds of doubt. Right. And especially like if you if you're different, right, whether it's you're a woman or you have a different background or like you said, both. <laughs> and you have, you know, those moments where like, oh, my gosh, what value can I actually like? What do I know compared to, you know, to John, you know, from <laughs> who's been working in this for the last 25 years? And then you realize oh, well, you know, hey, you know, I actually, I do have the chops and I do have what it takes, but sometimes it takes those, you know, you have kind of those defining moments. What do you find, you know, kind of going back, is there one particular kind of defining moment that you, you know, that you're just like, oh yeah, I had that. And it was like this moment or, you know, this situation. You mean defining moment is in like the, I finally have the confidence. Yes. Yes. Cause confidence is something that like, I feel like I've had, you know, every guest that I've had, um, we always talk about this, like, you know, like how you sometimes are, we're, we feel for whatever the reason inferior or not good enough, or you just have that little voice in your head. And that's sometimes what's keep, you know, what will keep you back. And, and then you have like a moment, a breakthrough, and it could be something like very, you know, very, uh, it doesn't have to be like a huge event, but something that you're just like, yes, I'm going to make it like this is what, you know, what was that that moment for you? You know, and it's so funny. I I honestly think everyone feels underconfident. And I think that that was really what did it for me. Um, oddly enough, when I first started Ouroboros, you know, and I feel just like, gosh, why? How, who am I? How am I doing this? I'm so young. I, I didn't go to the right schools to do this. I am, um, you know, I, I don't even have, you know, that traditional finance background. Who's going to want to, you know, do this with me? Um, you know, this is a long time ago at this point, but, you know, I started realizing that nobody really has all of the answers. Um, and as you get older, you start to realize everybody is still figuring it out yes. from different aspects. And if they say that they figured it out, they're lying to you. And when I started to see that, and I started to see people who were like 30, 40 years older than me, you know, not sure on things, and they were being honest, you know, and saying, well, I actually don't know. And, you know, I'm still working on this. And I go, oh my gosh, I'm still working on this too. This is great. Let's work on this together. And then I started getting confidence. And I 
also started getting confidence by, by saying, I don't know. So in finance, you're trained to always have an answer. Um, even if it's wrong, you're trained at some of these bigger firms that you should have an answer or else you have, you know, had a, um, you know, a lackluster performance. And um, I, I really wanted to change that, um, you know, at my firm where it's okay to not know. It's better to not know and say you don't know rather than have a wrong answer that leads to a poor investment. Um, and, and I'm learning every day. And I think that I would be lying to say that I wasn't, um, that I that I was a private equity guru. You know, and sometimes it's okay to not have the answer and to ask others. And that's when I started to gain confidence, you know, in myself um, for what I really did know, you know, so that I could really punctuate, you know, hey, guys, no, I really, I really know what I'm talking about here. Let me tell you why. Um, and I think that that also helped to instill confidence in others where, oh, okay, Sam doesn't really know. That's good. That means when she says she really knows, she really knows and we can trust her next time. And I think that that's really important. And it goes back to that cycle of trust. And it also goes back to having that, you know, confidence in yourself to, to not always have all the answers. And then things really started to take off, you know, at our company, which was great. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Asking for help is probably one of the most powerful things that that you can do, that anyone can do. I've, I've had this conversation with one of my first guests and how, uh, you know, there's like that stigma that it, you're perceived as weak if you ask for, you know, if you ask for help. And that's really... It, you know, it's it's usually the farthest from the truth because asking for help it, it basically goes, you know, everything that you just touched on, everything that, you know, you don't want to have a wrong answer that's going to lead to you know, a poor investment. And it's a simple solution by by asking for, for help. I love that. Well, just to start, you know, wrapping up a little bit, last question here. But, you know, what do you think now that we're, you know, coming kind of full circle, you're, you know, been in your, with your firm for about five, six years or so now. So what do you think is the most important, either personality trait or strength that someone needs to have to be successful in your job? Yeah, when I train, you know, analysts coming in, associates, and even, you know, when my partner and I are talking, um, you know, it's really about a culmination of different skills. Um, not always financial skills, by the way. Private equity is really interesting because, and, and a lot of the reason why they don't hire usually right out of like undergraduate programs into private equity is because it really takes a lot of quantitative and qualitative, you know, maturity and uh, stamina and pattern recognition. But then on top of that, there are also all these soft skills, um, such as salesmanship and just kind of the candor when you're speaking with these CEOs and you're speaking with LPs and the responsibility, you know, that comes along with that. And just the idea that one day you're the administrative admin assistant, um, you know, and the next day you're the CEO and you have to be okay wearing every single one of those hats. And by the way, you have to do it flawlessly, um, you know, at the same time, and you really can't make mistakes and everything has to be strategically executed. That comes with having multiple jobs and it comes with having, um, you know, multiple experiences I mean, and kind of pulling from that pattern recognition. And, um, you know, some of our deal sourcers, for example, they came from marketing and they came from sales. They weren't in finance. They're excellent deal sourcers because they can pull from their experiences selling a product and, making a genuine pitch to somebody, you know, and, and why you want to go with us, you know, as opposed to someone else. And, you know, that's something that you have to learn. It's not something that really can be taught. Some of it is an art and some of it is a skill. Um, and the more skills and um, artistic ability that you have in your toolkit, uh, the more successful you're going to be for something, uh, you know, like a private equity role. That's fantastic. I, I 
I really enjoy or I really appreciate, again, and this comes from you having a non-traditional background <laughs> and understanding that value and that the perspective that one can bring when you're not necessarily coming from, you know, the financial services space. I, I love that how you mentioned, you know, it's not just like the toolkit, but, you know, the sources that you have on your team, that some of them are coming from marketing because they bring a different toolkit. They bring a different kind of lens to the table that adds a lot of, you know, a different type of value, but nonetheless value to to your team. So I, I really appreciate that. And I, I think that that's, you know, one of the many things that seems to make Ouroboros uh, very unique. So, well, that's that's a wrap, Sam. Thank you so much for taking the time to to chat with me, to tell your story, you know, share your these nuggets of, of wisdom. I enjoyed the conversation um, and I hope we can do this again. So I wish you the best of luck and, and thank you. You're a you're a total rock star. I am convinced. <laughs> thank you so much, Alexa. This is so cool. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be on here. Thank you so much for having me and yeah hopefully uh, we can uh, keep you updated uh, as we grow and that's a wrap thanks for listening to take the stage and our special series ladies who rock if you enjoyed this episode please share it with others post about it on social media or leave a rating and review if you're a company or candidate who would like to work with career rock stars reach out on linkedin or send an email to alexis at career-rockstars.com thanks again and until next time